Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to set records around the world. And then, as we always do, we break those records. My name is Jody Jenkins. And my name is Tony Clement. And I yes. meant to say this, you know, we did our 100th episode a couple weeks ago and Steve Pakin asked us tongue in cheek, <laughs> like, what, what do you mean when you say you're breaking the records? Like, do you mean you're like breaking vinyl records? Like he was trying to be funny. Yeah. I know he's listening to this. And I, I just want to assure Steve again that we set records in the world of podcasts, like total listeners, total, total times downloaded. And then what we do is we go and break those records. So then we, we do, just beat but, it. But he's our, he's, our, he's our fact checker, Jody. Remember what happened last podcast? No, I know. I, I remember, yeah. He sent you a bunch of texts about yeah. all the mistakes I made. <laughs> and I made. So, well, because we were talking about, sorry, I said Bruce Buffer. I meant Michael Buffer with the let's get ready to rumble <laughs> chat that we had. And if you're a yeah. listener of the show, you know what I'm talking about. If not, go back and listen to episode number was it at 100? No, it was it was our last week's episode. But anyway, yeah. Um, one, but yeah, one, Michael two. Buffer, Bruce Buffer, they're related. One does UFC and one does <laughs> boxing and everything else. So I think everyone understood what I was saying. Yes, they did. It's okay. It's okay. And and Steve Pakin, we know you're listening. We appreciate the feedback. We really do. I don't suck up to him. <laughs> you know what? Actually, Steve, come to Belleville. Let's do lunch on Tony. Bring yeah. Tony. Tony will meet you here. We'll go for lunch and Tony will pay for it. So I want Steve to come down. So I like Steve a lot. So Yes, I do. I do too. Of course. Anyway, enough about Steve. Who should um, we thank? This show this show is brought to you by Municipal Solutions, of course, our presenting sponsor. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca and Tony, I know you want to share a little bit about what John and the team do there. Yeah, the Muntinator and the team, they're very, very busy with development services and project management, Jody, uh, development approvals, uh, permit expediting, planning services with municipalities, of course, engineering services, architectural services. If you have a minor variance or a land severance issue, or if you have a building permit you need, visit municipalsolutions.ca. And you can find us at looneypolitics.com, exclusive content only for Looney Politics subscribers. That means podcasts that you cannot hear anywhere else. Simply use the code PODCAST and you will get 50% off an annual subscription. And we encourage you to check it out now at looneypolitics.com. And our producer... Our producer just sent me a note here, Tony. I, this won't be a shock to you, but we just got word for the 102 shows in a row now, Mark Gerritsen has refused to come on. <laughs> That's right. So MP Mark Gerritsen will not come on the show yet. So, Oh, he's, he's doing as well as the Montreal Canadiens are doing this season. <laughs> I guess his people <laughs> reached out to our people. You know what's funny is I actually, in all honesty, I was going to call his office the other day, and I wasn't going to beg, but I was just going to say, Again, for those that don't know, I know Mark. We used to work in, uh, I won't say where we worked, but we you worked, worked at in a nightclub or something. Yeah. Sure. We worked at a nightclub. That's right. I was trying to be coy there, but um, I'm just going to call him up and just say, Mark, get on the show. Like, I'm not going to go through this request stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to play the game of politics. Just get on the show. Yeah. Come on. And I know dude. what he'll we'll say. He'll say, fun. Jody, he'll be like, Jody, I'm not doing it. But I'll say, Mark, then you're a chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Come on. Be, uh, be an MP. Chicken sounds. 
Yeah, exactly. All right. Are we ready for our guest? It's up to you. I'm fired up now. I'm kind of <laughs> You're fired, I can tell. Well, we so have a go ahead. You guest. can introduce our guest today. And we want to give an And Another Thing podcast welcome to Sabrina Maddow, who is a National Magazine award-winning writer and editor. She tackles politics, pop culture, finance, and feminism. She is a freelance columnist for the National Post, where she's been uh, referred to in the papers as the, quote, resident pissed-off millennial. She's also a longtime supporter of Made in Canada fashion, and she likes cheese, too. Welcome, Sabrina. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate <laughs> the uh, long introduction. Yes, well, my love of cheese. Yeah. yeah. You say you like cheese. That's interesting. I consider I myself cheese. a cheese enthusiast. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Well, I, uh, I know a thing or two about cheese as well, and some of the best yeah. cheese in the country, in my opinion, for Can- for Canadian cheese, is right down here in uh, the Quinty area. There's a place called Empire Cheese, and you cannot beat their seven-year-old cheddar. Untouchable. We'll have to try that out. Thank you for yes. the tip. Well, you know what, Sabrina? If this interview goes well, I'm not going to make any promises, but I may send a 10-pound block to you. <laughs> oh, man. That's what I'm really here for, payment and cheese. <laughs> the cheese. <laughs> for the cheese. The cheese stands alone in, in Sabrina's <laughs> eyes. So... Uh, moving on from cheese, though, why are you a pissed-off millennial? Uh, well, for many reasons, but largely because I think millennials, despite being the largest potential voting bloc in our country, still aren't really included a lot in the political process. Um, politicians don't speak to them. They don't seem to be addressing millennial issues and rather they're still catering to the baby boomer population. And in many cases, that equals piling up debt that my generation and perhaps even my children or grandchildren will be paying off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's a stereotype and you don't want to say this in an entitled way, but we really do financially have it worse off than other generations. Millennials will be the first generation to have a lower standard of living than their parents. Um, Obviously, there's the housing crisis where affording a house these days without parental help is practically impossible, Um, and affordability in general is going down. So uh, there's lots of reasons to be a pissed-off millennial in Canada today. No, and I I get that. And uh, as someone who self-identified as Generation X, uh, uh, the baby boomers were not my favorite uh, generation either for many, many of the same reasons as we were going through the uh, early 90s. But but uh, I guess when you you covered the federal election, so this is a sort of a case in point. Give us your analysis of what was talked about in that federal election and maybe where where the political leaders got off base on that? I think where they got off base speaking to millennials is they still seem to think millennials are university students who are fresh out of school and idealistic and only concerned about social justice issues. But millennials these days are late 20s, 30s, even 40, 41, 42. So these yes. are adults working, they're having families, they're hoping to buy homes, Um, they're facing real world problems and especially financial issues. And I just didn't see very many um, candidates addressing millennials in a serious way. And of course, the housing crisis became a big topic during the election. But prior 
to the campaign season, no one except the conservatives even mentioned the housing crisis, uh, yeah. which was really disappointing. And now that the campaign has closed, I haven't really heard it mentioned <laughs> since by the uh, Trudeau's liberals. So I'm concerned about whether their promises were actually authentic and whether we'll see any real action on that file. I have a 30-year-old son, so uh, I know a little bit about the housing issue for sure. So, uh, and uh, it is... You also have six houses, Tony. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> You're part of the problem. He's like, I do problem. not. It's only five, Jody. <laughs> yeah, come on, Jody. Get five real. in a condo. Yeah, what do you think I am? Al Gore or something? Come on. Come on. Oh. But let me just let me say this, though, like uh, because you you said, uh, well, you made the point and it was I thought it was a really good point in one of your I think it was your, one of your National Post contributions about how younger voters are during the election were actually driven away by Justin Trudeau's kind of vacuous nature. Uh, and not tackling the issues that they cared about. Because, uh, you know, 2015, I can believe uh, believe me, as a candidate, a successful candidate in 2015, there was a tsunami of not only millennial voters going to Justin Trudeau, but they were literally, and I mean, I mean literally, literally, dragging their parents to the voting stations uh, to vote for Justin Trudeau if they cared about their sons and daughters, right? So that's that's what it was like in 2015, but you're you're trying to you're trying to say that that's not the picture now or that wasn't the picture in the 2021 election. No, I think millennials are largely disillusioned with Trudeau. We saw in the polling millennials moving away from the liberals um and even going towards the conservatives, which a lot of conservatives thought millennials were a lost cause in this country, and it's shown that they're not. Um, they can be brought back into the fold if you speak to them and speak about their issues. Uh, and just in general, um, anecdotally and also through the polling, you can see that millennials are tired of the broken promises, whether it was on electoral reform or climate change or reconciliation or housing and affordability time and time again. Uh, the promises Trudeau made to them weren't followed through on, and actually often the interests of other generations have been put first. At the beginning of campaign season, the first thing Trudeau did, coincidentally, was baby boomers got this, uh, well, seniors, I should say, got a blanket $500 payment sent to them in the mail that wasn't right. means-tested. And this happens as millennials are uh, seeing their lives become more and more unaffordable. So that just goes to show... Uh, who his party really cares about, and young people are realizing it's not them. I think there's a lot of uh, data research backing you up on that, but I'd be curious to know, you must have been talking to your peer group and, uh, you know, you, friends around you. I mean, there's no there's no problem having anecdotes. That That's what you were picking up, eh? Yes, definitely. Um, I heard very few good things from my friend group, and I think... A lot of my friend group were people who might have voted liberal in the past. And I will even say myself, during um, 2015, I voted for Justin Trudeau. I have not since then. Mm. And I think I'm seeing that more and more among my peers. And they're open to more criticism. And they're looking for other options. The question is, who's going to give it to them? So what what does uh, Aaron O'Toole have to do? Or what, what does the Conservative Party more generally have to do to uh, pick up the pace on this? I think they had a good run this campaign season. I think that Aaron O'Toole was very convincing in um, 
in addressing some of the fears that surrounds um, voting for conservatives for young people, he he says he believes in climate change. He believes in a woman's right to choose. He he showed a more socially progressive base to the conservative party than we saw under Andrew Scheer. And I think that was effective. But Aaron O'Toole came into this campaign season also as a largely unknown figure to the average person who doesn't follow politics day to day. Mm-hmm. So if he's able to stick around longer and he continues being able to convince on these issues, I think there's a real shot there. And I think the Conservatives, they were the first to talk about the housing crisis. I think they've been leaders on it. They've been leaders on the affordability file. And if they can continue to do that, um, they'll get more millennials listening to them as well, because it's us who are most affected by these issues as a generation. Now, you're in a rather traditional way of communicating journalism, the National Post. Uh, now, I know, of course, it's online and it's not just a newspaper, but, uh, you know, you you also seem to value how news and views are consumed differently in today's day and age than they were 10 and 20 years ago. So I guess my question is, uh, from your vantage point, has the Conservative Party learned some lessons? Are they getting better at communicating uh, using the tools of communication that are available today? I think they could still be better. Um, I think they could have more of an online presence. I mean, everyone uh, seemed to hate on Jagmeet Singh for his TikTok videos. And I would argue the problem with him on TikTok wasn't so much that he was on TikTok. It was that he wasn't very good at it. And I, uh, his communication didn't come off well, but you need to be on these platforms to speak to a younger audience. Um, and you also have to speak to them in their communities and on a grassroots level and get uh, creative. And I don't think the conservatives have been used to doing that for the last couple elections, mm-hmm. election cycles. Of course, there's exceptions by I mean on a broad scale. And I hope that coming next election season, um, they really consider how they're going to talk to young people and come to them. I thought Pierre Polyev's stuff was really good. I know it was all self-produced rather than the party apparatus doing it. Uh, uh, And Jody and I have talked about this, that uh, he's really sort of found his game of of communicating in a very uh, very good and effective way using uh, these new tools. Have you noticed that at all? I have. He knows how to use the internet. He knows how to communicate through it. And his message does get out there. It gets shared around. And people know who he is. Um, And that's the starting point in politics. People have to know who you are and what you stand for. And I do think that other conservative candidates and maybe the party as a whole can learn from how he utilizes social media. Jody, what do you say to that? Yeah, no, those are all excellent points. Um, Sorry, I, I'm I'm still disappointed that you actually voted for Trudeau in 2015. I'm just struggling with that. We all make mistakes. We were all young once. I know, but I, I ran in that election for the Conservatives, and oh my gosh, I'm still I'm just having flashbacks. Sorry. Well, you were you were a former NDP candidate, Jody. Yeah, well, you grow up. I mean, she's she it sounds like she's regressing. I don't understand what's going on. I was in my early to mid 20s. I'm I'm only 32 now, so 2015. Take six years okay, off of that. Fair, yeah, fair enough. No, I, I, I was told the same thing by um, a couple liberal candidates that uh, <laughs> someday Jody will grow up and, and join the Liberal Party, but no, that will not happen. So, 
Uh, no, I, I, got, I got nothing. I'm just enjoying it. No, 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 that's fine. Keep yeah, it going. No, no, keep it going. Wanted to... well, I will say, I think for younger voters in general, and I do feel this way as well, I still don't identify as like a loyal supporter of any one party. For me, it's more about the issues and the candidates. Yeah. And that's what I'm seeing among my peers as well. It's the same as how we consume from multiple media sources these days, rather than having one newspaper delivered to your home. We're used to um, considering our options. And I, and I think there's less party loyalty among young people and more of a willingness to um, consider new candidates, new ideas, and new parties, which, which I think might yield interesting results going forward. Were you watching the PPC closely in this election? I was. I mean, it was really fascinating when they started to surge in the last couple of weeks of the election. Um, but interesting that they didn't ultimately end up being able to pull out any victories. What I'm curious to see with them is where they go after COVID and vaccine and mask mandates are over, because I do think they attracted a lot of support being somewhat a one issue party this election and attracting a lot of the protest vote. Um, so once that's over, I, I'm not sure that they'll see the same sort of uh, same sort of success, if that's what you can call it. Considering sure. they no, didn't no, actually right. win anything. I, I understand. I understand what you mean because uh, it, you know they they got 800,000 votes rather than 80,000 votes uh, as in the previous election. So they've got to go somewhere from there. Um, you've written about the national debt. And I find that very interesting because, uh, you know, I have a, maybe I have a bias that I, I, I worry and fret that uh, younger generations don't understand what the national debt is. They don't uh, understand how important it is to have that under control. Uh, they don't see the relationship between spending and future taxes uh, and inflation. Uh, and yet uh, this is something that you've written about. Tell us a little bit about that part of your uh, writing. I also find it hugely concerning, but I agree with you that most younger Canadians aren't thinking about it or they don't understand it fully. And I think part of this comes back to media, actually, because a lot of people aren't speaking to millennials or the average layperson even about finances. I mean, now inflation's a hot term. The housing crisis is a hot term. But go back even six months, a year, two years ago, no one was writing that content outside of like the financial pages or more niche political columns. So something that I'm very passionate about is taking those issues um, and writing about them in a way that I hope attracts people who might not usually read about them to those columns um, and making them interesting and showing particularly millennials, how these actually affect them and will affect them going forward. And I think this is one of the unfortunate things about the state of traditional media in this country. And the reality, budgets are small. There have been a lot of layoffs over the years. New hires are rare. I've seen so many peers chased out of the industry because they simply need to afford to feed themselves. Um, and because of that, you're not, you're not getting a lot of coverage by young people for their peers. This is very interesting. So, um, you know, uh, you're not, you're not obviously focusing on the national post because you, you have, you have found a, a place and a station there uh, to express your views. But th this is an observation that you're making that, the media, you know, who, who seek diversity, that's one of the, the buzzwords of the day is you've got to be diverse, but they're really not being generationally diverse. 
No, I don't think on the whole. And I think the National Post actually has made a really concerted effort to become more generationally diverse over the last year. Um, They've brought on myself for opinion columns, um, a few other millennials. And for me, I I find their coverage as a whole much more engaging as a result. And I hear it from my peers who are also reading the Post more and more simply because of the fact people their age with their concerns are writing for them. So I hopefully we see more of that from every media outlet because it's, it's important. Um, you also wrote uh, recently, not, not, uh, not in the last week or so, but recently about um, that, uh, the homecoming uh, situation at Queens university with the university student students partying. And then uh, lo and behold, adults were aghast. And uh, you basically said that this is not the end of the world. Uh, you want to go into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. We've been seeing all this like very panicked, breathless coverage, uh, particularly f- from global news and a few other outlets though, about these massive university street parties happening across the nation. And they've been framing this largely as a public health risk uh, because of COVID. Where, when in reality, most of these students are double vaccinated because they have to be largely to be in residence or in class even. Um, And these are outdoor parties This is basically the safest thing university students who are hungry for socialization and who have suffered so many uh, mental health effects can do. So um, to be coming out and fear-mongering about these parties I think is a bit ridiculous. And then on top of that, the response from uh, municipal politicians and police forces has been ludicrous. Just again, uh, this weekend, there were images of police forces responding to university street parties with riot gear and tackling students to the ground. Yes, it's true. In Kingston. And it's like, this is how you're handling university students. Um, And then you compare that to not that I'm saying that necessarily anti-vaxxers should be responded to with riot gear or uh, tackling to to the ground. I don't think that's appropriate either, but it's certainly not appropriate for university students. And then you see the coverage of these supposed wild parties. And while, yes, there there is some... rowdy behavior that should be dealt with. A lot of the students are just standing around in their backpacks, like having a drink with one another. So again, I think it's partially about generational perspective here. It's so funny uh, you you put it that way, because uh, as you were describing that, I, I couldn't help but think about the 60s, you know, and how, you know, the National Guard of the United States would be deployed against students protesting the war in Vietnam. And we've come to an age in 2021 where police forces are deployed because, you know, a, a university student has a, has, a, has a drink, has a beer in one hand and is partying, you know, a little bit socializing with their friends. And that's that's now what, what the National Guard has to be used for. Yeah, it's really quite shocking when you see the images and videos. And I'm surprised it hasn't been covered more widely out of some of these small town newspapers. But again, I think that you just don't have a lot of reporters who are connected with university students or those communities, and they simply don't hear about these things. Uh, Jody, did you have any problems in Belleville that way? What, with huge, massive crowds? <laughs> yeah. No, not not in Belleville. Maybe at uh, some festivals back in the day. But Sabrina is, is, uh, is bang on. I've actually been saying that for a couple weeks. In fact, I went one step further on the Kingston thing, and I actually tweeted the mayor, Brian Patterson, because I know him, 
And I said, like, just give it a rest, man. Like, I, I just couldn't believe the way they were vilifying the students, like, as if they never did anything like that before. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I went to school in Kingston. So I went to St. Lawrence College. I worked down in the the nightclubs, as we said, with Mark Garretson. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was absolutely ridiculous the way they made out those students to be so uh, horrendous. I, I actually was pretty disappointed. So, but uh, you're bang on. And that the mayor passed an emergency order to deal yeah. with these students. Like of He's all the things that you need He's to pass joke. emergency orders for, it's almost, it seems like a parody, right? Especially in this day and age to be yeah. uh, issuing one for that. It's classic government overreach. And we probably just lost any chance of having Brian Patterson on the show. That's so. right. Yeah, uh, Strike him off yeah. the list now. I think the, the Kingston is off our list now. What can you do? <laughs> um, any Kingston government representatives. <laughs> Yeah, we're you should done. go podcast live from one of the street parties. Get yeah, the university exactly. students on your side. Better than that, I'd go podcast live from Garrettson's lawn. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. that's what we'd do it, yeah, and exactly. we'll bring the street party to him. Exactly. Yeah, come on over. So, what should Jody and I know about Canadian fashion? <laughs> <laughs> oh man well that we have so many talented designers here i started my career as a lifestyle writer as many young women in media do that's what you get hired for so i became very uh, familiar with the canadian fashion and design community and there is so much talent and they get so little support um and i'm happy to see now there's more focus people are considering their footprint and shopping local and supporting small businesses so i think that especially as we come out of uh, COVID and we're trying to recover economically, I hope people look more where their clothes are designed, where their clothes are made, and that hopefully it's made in Canada. And also a lot of Canadian fashion designers stepped up during the pandemic to design masks, especially when it was discovered we had very little production uh, capacity. They're the ones who started making them. So it's important to have a homegrown textile industry beyond just the fashion aspect. There is a public uh, health aspect to it as well, whether it's hospital gowns or masks, um, because unfortunately, I'm sure this might not be the last time we need those items. No, uh, I, I I guess I'm, I've, I've been told that I uh, skinny jeans are out. Is that true? I hear this as well, um, but as a millennial, I'm like trying to hold on to them. I think it's Gen Z that's saying skinny jeans are out, oh, okay. but I, I, I refuse to hear it. Also, low-rise jeans are coming back in, and I also refuse to hear anything about that. Okay, Tony, the rule of thumb is every 30 years it comes back. So stuff in the 90s, you're good with. Like, you know, any of your ho- FUBU hoodies? Yeah, Pull yeah. your FUBU hoodies, and you'll be fine. <laughs> good, good. See, there's hope. I've got a, I've got a whole closet full of stuff that I refuse to throw out. So there's Your Sean John? You know your Sean John sweaters? <laughs> yeah. They're good. They're good. They're good now. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, there is hope for us, Jody. Uh, Sabrina, I, I want to thank you for coming on our program. It's just been a delight. You're a breath of fresh air, and uh, certainly we wish you every success with your writing and with your commentary. Thank you so much. I appreciate the chat. Excellent discussion and some fashion tips for you. So yes. will you will you take advantage of that? or? Well, I, I did order a new pair of trousers. Um, oh, good lord there's your problem right there <laughs> the fact you just said trousers trousers oh my oh my yeah, gosh pair of pants and they, they 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 were wider at the bottom uh, so you know i'm obviously paying attention to the styles 
Okay, I don't even know what to say now. I don't even know what to say. I know. Are you you're, you got your you have your uh your classy, what was it, your suede jacket that you love? Yeah, my brown your, suede uh, jacket. Yeah. Yeah, your your wood chopping shirt. Yeah. Um you got your new trousers. I got my new trousers. And uh Birkenstocks or Merrill uh flip-flops or something. No, you know, I've got my purple Converse All-Stars. Oh yes, you wear the I forgot you wear the Chuck Taylors. Yeah, I do. You're so the man. Maybe, You're maybe the, man. the only thing maybe that's the only thing that I'm known for now. Had, has that Sabrina woman been on your boomer bus show? Yeah, she she was on. Uh we, we were talking during the election about some of the election issues. And uh that's where I got to know her a little bit. And I thought she'd be great for this podcast too. She's uh she's an up and comer. She's uh, definitely writing prolifically in the post, and I'd encourage people to read her columns. And for those that don't know, Boom or Bust is a show that Tony is on. Tony is actually very popular on Channel 487 in Aurora. So, <laughs> no. You can check that out. Channel 107 on Rogers or 506 on Bell. How's that? Oh, look at you. Shameless yeah. plugs, eh? You just never stop. Never ends with you. You, you can't you can't stop. You got to always be always be selling, right? You know that. And you were on recently again with Humble and Fred on their show? Yeah, that was great. They they had me on uh, ostensibly, uh, you know, their producer, uh, Toronto Mike, contacts me and says, hey, they want to talk about the uh, the water situation in Iqaluit. Can you come on? So I said, sure. So, you know, I'm prepping for that. That's what I'm going to be talking about. Very serious topic, obviously. And the first question out of their mouths is, have you ever met the Queen? <laughs> so we had this whole discussion about my meetings with the Queen and how I got in trouble with Will and Kate. And uh, and uh, so they we kind of went off on that tangent for a lot of the show. But it was nice. They're they're very good to me. Uh, they're great, uh, great hosts. And, of course, they just uh, celebrated their 10th anniversary as a podcast. So they started in, in the fall of 2011 and uh, certainly an inspiration to all of us. I was just thinking of something. You were just talking about interviews and, and I was thinking of different people and stuff. And I just all of a sudden, I don't know why it flashed in my head. It's like I think uh, some of my distraction or distractibility was kicking in there. But I was thinking of that Wyatt Sharp kid. Yeah. And I know he does a good job and and I'm just joking around and being sarcastic here, but like how long will he be able to milk the fact that he's like, you know, a young reporter or interviewer before it's like, cause he guy gets all the guy gets all this press from like, like Catherine McKenna was giving him love on Twitter the other day. And, and I'm thinking like, man, like come and give us some love. He's going like, to be the Macaulay. You know, we, got, we got jealousy kicking in here. He's going to be the Macaulay Culkin of the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, look at he's 44 and doing a great job. Yeah. Uh, good for Wyatt, though. He's found his niche and uh, far, far for me to be. Uh, well, and you knew him when. I mean, you were one of the first people. I was one of the on. first guys. Yeah. Yeah. You launched him. Yeah. And then he, 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 he got Doug Ford and it was he never looked back. <laughs> it's like, now, does he return your calls anymore? Yeah, no, we we uh, exchanged uh, messages the other day. Uh, so uh, uh, you and yeah. Wyatt or Doug Ford? Uh, no, Wyatt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not Doug Ford. No. <laughs> Actually, I had a good conversation with the uh, minister, uh, Minister Todd Smith. I'm trying. It's terrible. Oh. oh, Minister of Energy. He's the Minister of Energy. Maybe we should get him on the show. Sure. Why not? 
Yeah. Todd would be great. He has obviously his background is radio. He'd be a he's a very a uh, very good one. He's always in the top tier when they they rate the cabinet ministers for Doug Ford. He's always in the top tier. Is he? Eh? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. funny. I've known him for so long. I played baseball with him. I've known him since I was like, I'm guessing like 18, 19 years old. Get him. Get so him. On. It's just. Yeah, it's just funny every time. I just I never see him as the government guy. I see him as Todd. No, no, so he's funny. he's very well regarded. We've got a whole lot of like, you, as you know, we've got a, some people lined up. Pacini wants to come back on, and we've got some good shows lined up, folks. Yeah, well, Pacini is the standard by which we measure everybody. <laughs> Don't like, it's, that. it's like I, you put up a chart, and it's like the Pacini factor. That's so right. you're either, you know, you're either like. If you're ranking MPPs, it's like you're three below a Pacini, or you're no, you're like one or two above a Pacini. So yeah, you Pacini might, yeah. is that optimal realm. Yeah, you might be a 0.85 Pacini or a, a 1.05 Pacini, that kind of thing. I, I get it. Yeah, and and like, yeah, I'm not going to go there. I was going to say something, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Um, so anyway, we need a Pacini on this program. You're like a. You're about two or three below a Pacini there, Tony. Oh, thanks, Jody. That's the nicest thing <laughs> you've ever said about me. Hey, but think about that. That's that's pretty close to being a Pacini, which is somewhat unattainable. So. Yeah, it's like the the Naplus Ultra. I, I get it. <laughs> Once again, thanks to Municipal Solutions for being our presenting sponsor. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. Also, check out looneypolitics.com. Use the code podcast and get 50% off an annual subscription to get exclusive content like our podcast that you cannot hear anywhere else, looneypolitics.com. Tony, enjoy your time away in Newfoundland. Yeah, and I'll, have we'll some stories from, I'll have some stories from Fogo Island and St. John's, Newfoundland next time we talk. Only good stories, though. Are you going to political events down there? Or are you actually not, like going to relax? No, I'm going to relax. It's uh, me and my wife are just taking our first holiday since COVID uh, away, you know, away from Ontario, and uh, we're looking forward to it. All right, buddy, enjoy. I will do.